0: Now the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Ray sits down with David Green, CEO and founder of Hobby Lobby.
1: Whatever your hands finds to do, do the very best of what that is. And in that obedience, I think God will promote you. Man's not the one that promotes us. It's God that promotes us. But he promotes us in a position of obedience, and that is that we should do what we do as unto the Lord the very best we can, and I think that's how we find our
0: final destination and where God would have us to be. Well, hey, gang, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith, and this is a really, really special episode of the Bottom Line Faith program. Recently, we had the chance to travel to Oklahoma City and sit down with Mr. David Green, the founder and CEO of Hobby Lobby. David is one of the most successful and godly businessmen our country has ever seen. And he was so kind and so gracious that he gave us a full hour of his time. And so because of the length and the quality of the conversation, we have split this interview with David Green into two parts and so we're excited to present to you part one of our recent conversation with David Green well hello everyone this is Ray Hilbert I am your host here at bottom line faith I am absolutely thrilled to be in a wonderful place in Oklahoma City in the headquarters of Hobby Lobby and we are speaking today with David Green who is the founder and CEO here at Hobby Lobby. David, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you today. I just want to go ahead and put right out on the table that you recently released a book, You and Bill High. Why don't you take just a moment and tell us about the book, because that's going to be the foundation for a lot of what we talk about here on the program.
1: Well, the book's titled Giving It All Away and Getting It All Back Again. And so the book is uh, primarily wanting to talk about uh, generosity and and mainly uh, legacy, family legacy, and how that, uh, it is so important for us to live our life thinking about our legacy. Did you ever imagine that you'd write a book? No, to be honest, I haven't. Uh, Bill, thank God for Bill who <laughs> came alongside me and helped me write this book. We, uh, we talked many, many hours. I've been working with Bill for about 15 years, so he knows the family, he knows myself, and I, I thank God for him and the help that he's
0: given me on the book. Now, we're going to get into some of the details and such that are in the book, but I actually read the the entire book in one day on Christmas Day. The Lord woke me up about four in the morning, and I just started reading. I had gotten the book a couple of days earlier, and I said, you know, I'm just going to read it, and I couldn't put it down. It was absolutely incredible. Well, thank you.
1: It was a labor of love, and uh, here again, I'm thankful for someone that came alongside and was
0: able to put the book together the way that he did. So... David, let, let's kind of go back to the beginning. Let's talk a little bit, and you do share these uh, things in the book, uh, but tell us a little bit about your uh, family life growing up, about your parents, and you were really left with an amazing heritage.
1: Yes, I was, and I'm, I'm very, very proud of my heritage, even though I came from very humble beginnings. My mother and father were pastors of small churches, and I had five brothers and sisters. So um, all the time we were growing up, Probably my dad and mom never pastored a churches over 100, but God was faithful in supplying our needs. We grew gardens, and as soon as we kids could, we'd get out and pick cotton in the fall of the year and do everything we can to support the family. But we really saw miracles, God doing miracles in our family to support us. We always had what we needed in terms of food and clothing, and God was good.
0: Well, in the book, you share examples, or at least stories, when uh, groceries and food would anonymously show up. Exactly. I wish my mom and dad had written a book, because they could, about God's
1: provisions and the miracles that uh, we saw in our family. Uh, my mother and dad we were were such great examples for us in their giving and their uh, generosity. They were great tithe payers. They believed that they should pay tithe and back in the 40s, a lot of the members of the churches would pay their tithe in terms of vegetables, things out of their gardens, and things of this nature. So we'd watch them tally this. Some people would say, well, that's awful legalistic. But I never saw it that way. I saw it as my mom and dad, they really wanted to give God the first the 10%, the first 10% of what they had received. And uh, and that had a big influence on me, and I know my brothers and sisters to see them, their love for the Lord and their willingness uh, to give
0: their first uh, 10%. And and one of the things that I was struck by was you talked about in some ways you were but almost like the black sheep of the family because you chose a different path. You fell in love with retailing very early on, didn't you? Tell, tell us about that.
1: Well, I think my mom and dad, I don't know that they understood that you could do things at eternal and not be a pastor or a <laughs> missionary. And I think They wanted all of us, six children, to be pastors, wives, pastors, uh, missionaries, Well, they got five out of six, so I was the one that they didn't get as a pastor. So there was quite a period of time in my life that I thought, well, I was the black sheep and there had to be something wrong with me because God did not call me into the ministry of being a pastor, missionary. So I did have a a problem with that for a few years, but of course, since then, I've learned that God
0: can use you wherever He's called you. Well, absolutely. And and we'll talk more about that in a little uh, little while. But uh, one of the things I'd love for you to share is you, you discovered this passion for retail, though, very early on. So take us back. How did you discover this passion? And maybe it was that first time setting up a display, but I mean, take us to the moment was like, this is really amazing stuff. Actually, uh, when
1: I was a junior and senior, uh, I took a course in school that was called Distributive Education, and I thought it was the neatest thing in the world because you could get two credits for one class. You actually got credit for working and making money, and that was the best thing that ever happened to me my junior and senior year. I I took uh, this distributive education. I worked. I was usually out of school by 11 o'clock, and I was at work at the local five-and-dime store. So I loved going to work, and I loved doing the displays, and I loved just seeing buying and selling merchandise. And so at the age of about 16, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a
0: retailer. The bug caught you very quickly. And so at what point, you talked about your your parents and family, you know, put— seeing that ministry, vocational Mm -hmm. ministry was the the pathway that they were hoping for you or praying for you, but you got this other passion. At what point did you discover that this could also be your mission field in business and in the marketplace?
1: There was an event that I went to a, a huge assembly where there was missionaries from all over the world that were assembled there. And I remember them taking up an offering for literature for these missionaries to have literature of the gospel that they could use in their countries. And uh, I don't know what I gave on that particular moment, but at the time that I was flying home on an airplane, I knew God was saying to me, you need to give $30,000. And we were a very, very small company. And I said, how in the world? We can't give $30,000. I knew that didn't come from me. Hmm. But but we talked, and I talked to my wife, Barbara, and she said, I thank God, and I know God is asking us to give $30,000. So why don't we write four checks, 7500 apiece, four months, post-date them and send them in and give the $30,000. Well, what happened, I found out that those things were post-dated on when four missionaries stayed over after this assembly and they were praying because they didn't really have enough money for all of these to have the gospel. And I got a call and the call said, you know, this happened. And... And I knew that God had spoken to me, and so it was that time and moment I knew that God could use a merchant
0: and that I was in God's will and what I was doing. A moment of faith on an airplane ride set in, in, in course a trajectory of life that you continue to this day. Would that be fair to say?
1: Exactly. I know that I am called to be a retailer, and I know that God also anoints me the same as he anoints a pastor. And I think He anoints all of us in whatever, whatever field that He has given us. He has given me this field of retail, and I know that God anoints me in what I do as He does all of us, I think, in whatever He asks us to do.
0: And I love that, Dave. That's beautiful. So success for our program here at Bottom Line Faith is if one listener who is discouraged, perhaps uh, wondering what that next thing is that God has for them, or maybe God's put on their hearts a, a vision for business or what have you, and they, for whatever reason they haven't stepped into that, What advice would you have for a business leader right now, perhaps a business owner or a CEO, who's questioning whether or not what they do can count for the kingdom? What encouragement or advice would you have to say for them?
1: You know, I feel like that God has given us all a purpose in our life. And I think as I would advise my grandchildren and uh, soon-to-be great-grandchildren, my advice is always be, a scripture that's found that says, whatever your hands finds to do, do the very best at what it, that is. And in that obedience, I think if that's not your end goal, God will promote you. Man's not the one that promotes us. It's God that promotes us. But he promotes us in a position of obedience. And that is that we should do what we do as unto the Lord the very best we can, but also as unto the Lord. And I think that's how we find our final Destination
0: and where God would have us to be. And so in business and in the marketplace, there's some uniqueness to that platform. We get to talk to customers and vendors and maybe even competitors that maybe we wouldn't inside a traditional ministry. Uh, what would you say about that?
1: Yes, I think that God has gives, gives us, I think all of us, no matter where we are, he gives us particular opportunities to be a witnesses for him. And in our case, I feel like a lot of what we do is not just the customers, but our employees is to serve the Lord and let them know that that's what's really important. You know, on every Easter Sunday um, and every Christmas day, we have full page ads in every single paper that we have. And that's one of the ways we witness is to say, here's who we are. We're Hobby Lobby or we're a retailer, but what's really important is on this day, is when our Savior was born, or this is the day that the resurrection of our Lord. And so there's so many different ways that we find in business that we can witness to our employees as well as to our customers about what's really important of what we do.
0: Oh, fantastic. And David, you you talked in the book about nostalgia, about back in the early days. So take us all the way back to the very beginning. Why and how did you start the company and help us understand those early days? What was it like? Well, actually,
1: the earliest days was in a five-and-dime when I was in a junior and senior year. And that's, of course, when I really think God showed me what I was going to do. And by the way, that's where I met my wife. Uh, In that five-and-dime, I tell people I met my million-dollar baby in a five-and-ten-cent store. So that's where we started life, was uh, working. Uh, We got married uh, right after I got out of high school and uh, began to work for a company called TGNY, which was a a blessing to have that company. And it it was doing very, very well. But I guess like a lot of individuals, they want to do something on their own. And so in 1970, Barbara and I borrowed $600 from the bank uh, to start manufacturing some little frames in our garage. And so that's, that's where it began. I tell people the first five years, Barbara worked for no pay at all. And my two sons were uh, seven and nine, and they would glue these frames together for seven cents apiece. And so that's, it all got started with a, a borrowing of $600. It took all of our salary for our, our livelihood. We had three children at the time, and so we had to borrow the $600 to get the company
0: started. You came from a background in some of the things uh, in your retail career. You were working a lot of hours prior to really getting the company going, and this helped shape some of your philosophy here. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yes. I think most people in retail will tell you that it's really, and generally speaking, it's really, really long hours. I think most people in retail would tell you they're working, you know, 60 hours might be the norm and the average. And so we really, uh, that was important. As we built our own company, that we wanted to have a company that was very uh, family friendly, and so Hobby Lobby only opens 66 hours a week. We don't open on Sundays. We close at uh, eight o'clock. I don't think you'll find any retailer of any size at all that's open 66 hours. And that's all about the family. If, the, if my family is important to me, then other people's families should be important as well. So we try to run the company in a way that our managers work five-day work weeks and that our hours are
0: uh, – there's a, a good balance between uh, work and life. Well, on that note, uh, you've been in the retail business uh, many decades now, and and you've seen so many changes. Would you speak to what you're seeing now with – you know, with Amazon and everything that's happening. And how do you see that shaping our worldview and how is retail changing and what do you see for the future, not only generally, but maybe for Hobby Lobby as well?
1: Yeah, I think that there's no question there is some change going on. And uh, we feel like that with Hobby Lobby, we have a lot of products that's not going to be quite as... uh, open to the e-commerce although we have e-commerce ourselves we feel like we have one if you want to buy arts and crafts we think we have as good a selection that's out there and so it's growing rapidly but to this date we've never had a decrease in our same stores we still have increases every year which is how you measure it you don't measure it by the new stores because we add 50 to 60 stores every year. But our new, our, our same store sales have increased, and I don't remember a time when they haven't. So even with the changes of a lot of e-commerce and Amazon, God has blessed us, and we have continued to have increases. So we thank God for that.
0: Yeah. I, I did something recently. My wife and I, she went online, and she ordered all of our groceries and went down to Kroger and click. It was out there waiting for us in the parking lot. It's just amazing, this pace yeah. and speed yeah. at which right. – Delivery of services is changing, and so uh, do you see? Um, you know, in the crystal ball, do you do you see the the in your world the standard retail store remaining
1: so I, healthy? I think it's going to be very very important for you to be the best at whatever you do, and so yeah. we feel like that our goal is, and that's what God asks us to do anyway. Whatever your hands finds to do, do it the very best, and so we feel like that uh, retail and the uh, brick and mortar, we believe, will always be here. But you better be the very best. So every year you find out there's different stores that are going out of business. But I recall before Amazon and before e-commerce, people went out of business every year anyway. Although I, I know that Amazon contributed to some of that. But we feel like that
0: we better be the very best at what we do. Yeah. And so on that note, uh, you are currently and still ceo that's correct and so uh how you enjoying that after all these years you still excited every day well there's always challenges there's always (laughs) new
1: challenges you never arrive it's amazing because it's it's a moving target and uh We carry 75,000 items in our warehouse and another 25,000 that we push that is like seasonal, and of that 75,000 items, 15,000 are dropped and new 15,000, and so it's a constant uh, movement. And so that itself keeps you excited
0: because it, it doesn't get boring. Do you still get that tingly feeling up your spine when you walk into a retail, one of your stores?
1: Well, uh, yes, I, I'm i still excited. There's tough days, yeah. I have to admit. But generally speaking, I love, I love what I do and I work six days a week. I'm here not because I have to be, but uh, I'm here on Saturday. I tell my wife if she feels like a widow, let me know and I'll come <laughs> home because I don't have to be here. But she has a lot of things going on, and so it works real well for us now that we have no children at home.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And you, you speak often about the three loves of your life, w- w- your wife being one. Tell us, what are those three?
1: Well, you know, of course, I, I, I tell people we have a lot of new uh, people coming in here that's going to be our new managers, and I just let them know what's important in my life, and that is my faith, and, and then my family, and then my work and that's the order that I would like to put it in and I would and I and I encourage them to put it in the same way that uh, their their family should be more important than uh, the business. But that never bothers me to say that because if you're crazy about your family, you want to
0: support them and you're going to take care of your business. Fantastic. And you've set year over year after year after year records and profitability and um, known for being, in a, you're out of debt, right? The company's we, out we of debt. We have no long-term debt. No long-term mm-hmm. debt. So like the Cathy family with Chick-fil-A, uh, you have had this extraordinary success not being open on one of the busiest retail days of the week. How is that possible?
1: Well, I I think that you'd better be the very best if you're going to uh, be closed on Sunday. And I think Chick-fil-A is always Voted the number one uh, restaurant for if you want chicken, that's where you buy it. And we're hoping the same thing about Hobby Lobby that they'll they'll they will they will come to Hobby Lobby uh, if we're the very best. And uh, and and I'm sure we lose some business on people that uh, that want something on Sundays, but we feel like there's something special about it in God's blessings. He just blesses us in the obedience. We don't try to tell other people what to do in their business. But we just have to follow what we feel like that he asked us to do. And there was a time that we were open and felt like that the Lord wanted us to close on Sundays, and so uh, we did
0: so. And God has blessed us. Yeah, fantastic. And and the the as you just said, you you would never push or prod anyone to do that. Uh, but I believe what, well, let me ask you this. What would you say to a business owner right now who is wrestling with that kind of decision? How, how would you advise them along those lines?
1: You know, we tell our story a lot to a lot of people that come through here. And I always start by saying, this is our story, but it, we also need to, to each one of us, we need to be looking and asking the Lord for leadership and for his directions and whatever he would have us to do. And it should always uh, line up with God's word. And so between God's word and our prayer, I think God will guide us to where he would have us to be.
0: And so that's really a great transition. You know, we talked about kind of the foundation of the business and putting those kids to work early on. And Your wife really, she ran the business, right, in the early, early days and allowed you to, to build it. And so now, amazing, and it truly is an empire. There's no question by the world standard it's an empire, but you have some foundational principles on how you run the business. And you really walk us through this in one of the chapters on these tenets and foundational principles for your business. And if we could just quickly walk through these, and, and if you'd elaborate on them, the first one that I read about was that your employees matter. Talk to us about that and how you live that out.
1: Yes, that's right. And, uh, you know, it's the right thing to do first because it's the right thing to do. But secondly, it's uh, good for business. I don't want to be good to my employees because it's good for business. I hope that I'm motivated by I care and we care and we should care about our employees. And so uh, we want to do everything we can to do all we can for our employees. Uh, Our minimum wage for our employees is $15.70 for all of our uh, full-time employees. Here at the uh, corporate office, we have a, um, a clinic, and last year we had over 15,000 people visit it. We have an MRI machine, so it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty complete to take care of our employees, uh, taking care of their insurance, considering in their hours. So we hope that, uh, that our heart is for our employees, and I think that's very important in, in, in what we
0: do. What have you seen as the result in terms of uh, retention versus you know, turnover? What, what do you see versus industry standards as a result of these practices?
1: Well, I know that Hobby Lobby is very profitable. So at the bottom line, something's working. And so we are very profitable, more so than our competitors, more so than most retailers. And so we feel like that doing the right thing for the right reason is important. And, but it also, we believe it pays dividends. Being closed on Sundays, by the way, we attract people that want to be in church on Sunday, people that love their family and want to be with their family. And those are the type of people that I think become the very best employees. I don't think we really understood the the value of what we were doing when we were closing on Sunday. The busiest day per hour was Sunday. But uh, we we closed because we knew that's where God wanted us to go. But we really, really didn't realize the value of the
0: the people we would attract because of being closed on Sunday. It just had a trickle down effect, didn't it? All the way through sometimes, uh, we don't always have these plans, but God knows, yeah, exactly. F- follow his principles, and uh, he, he promises to uh, keep his end of the bargain. So, so you, you talk about employees matter, but ethics, and talk a little bit about uh, some of the, the principles and policies you have around working with vendors here, uh, entertainment thereof, and those sorts of things. I, I found this really fascinating as I was reading the book.
1: Well, I think a lot of times we have to remember that I think God tests us, you know and and, and, and so we just want to find ourselves faithful and and, and and so sometimes there are opportunities out there. I recall a time when we needed the money really, really bad that we could come back from Colorado and we could bring alcohol back with the numbers was about three hundred thousand a year that we could earn by bringing alcohol back on backhauls on our trucks. But those type of things uh, we find never end in terms of things that can happen that we we, we should pass the test. And uh, there was another occasion where that we had a store that I had 10 years left on my lease. I had 15 years on it. And after five years, the neighborhood had deteriorated in such a way I had to close or keep or my people would be it it in harm's way. And we had a wholesale liquor company that would come in and take me out of the lease. And the lease was uh, 600000 a year, and I had 10 years left on it. Mm-hmm. And we passed on that. And it just so happened that we paid that 600000 for those 10 years. It was sitting there, and we paid that. But I would make the same decision today, knowing that, that we would never had someone come along and would take us out of that lease. So those are the things, I think, that that... That God, when we pass those tests, I think that's when he really blesses us, is when we pass those tests. And hopefully we will do that in the future.
0: Well, I'm going to play skeptic just for a moment. You know, someone might, I'm sure you've heard, that. oh, it's easy to make those kind of decisions once you're successful and have the funding and those sorts of things. But as we've learned here today, it began way back on that air probably even before, but that airplane ride, when you Mm -hmm. listened to God's voice, that was Mm $30,000 you didn't have. Exactly. But it set in motion... The entire trajectory of your business.
1: Yeah, you know, I I've looked back on that and I said maybe God says if I will give when I don't have, then I will give when I do have, mm-hmm. and so it might have been that kind of a test that if if this guy will do what I ask him, he doesn't have it, then he'll do it when he has it. So hopefully uh, that was uh, that was important for our future.
0: Yeah, that biblical principle about when we're faithful with the little things. He will entrust much more. And so very, very exciting. So one of the things that I was... And this is related to... Well, folks, that concludes part one of our conversation with David Green. We really trust that you've been blessed and encouraged. We want to invite you to come back for part two in the next episode of Bottom Line Faith. And as a blessing and encouragement, would you go online and give us a review for the program? That's how we can make this an encouragement to others and to make it available on a much broader basis. So until next time, I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to live out your faith in the marketplace. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.